Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Follow him on Twitter at Christian Fourier. I heard you hate old people and puppies. No, no, just puppies. Hate puppies. It's OMF on WEEI. All right, back here on OMF, uh, Andy Hart in today for Christian Fourier and joining us live on the Harbor One Hotline right now to talk a little bit about Celts and the Brooklyn Nets is our buddy Chris Mannix. Hey, bud, how are you? What's going on, guys? What's up? It's just a great series so far. It's just terrific. We're looking forward to the next (laughs) few games here, Chris. Uh, So let me ask you this. uh, As a longtime basketball guy, um, did they blow their best opportunity of winning a game in the series? Probably. Um, you know, I, I thought they had a really good defensive game plan, especially in the first half. Um, you know, the Nets looked like a team that hadn't played together very long. That starting lineup was on the floor for the very first time all season long. That, that was probably their opportunity. Now, I, you know, you, you fast forward a little bit, there'll be a lot of energy in game three, one way or the other. So, you know, they'll have another chance, but it, it just felt like to me to, give them a shot to win the series, you probably had to take game one and put pressure on Brooklyn. Um, Not winning it, it, it's just hard to see that path to victory for the Celtics. Hey, Chris, I know we'll get into the series, but I wanted to ask you, because I know Friday night's game three here. Sunday will be game four. It's supposed to be you know allowed to be full capacity, but it seemed like the NBA's got sort of different protocols for that. Well, they, maybe they won't allow a full capacity at the Garden. Do you know anything about that? Do you expect to see a full Garden Sunday? Well, I don't, I don't know about Game Three. You know, the Celtics were very specific. Well, they can't do it in Game Three in Mass, right? Friday right, night they can't right. do it, but Sunday they can. It'll be, in, it'll be increased um, in in Game Three. Uh, I don't know what they're going to call full capacity. Is is the question? You know, what you're seeing, at least in some of these games that are, you know, being quote unquote opened up, you're still seeing. Um, sections kind of blocked off, right? Like at, at Madison Square Garden the night, 15,000 fans. But behind the Knicks bench and behind the Hawks bench, there was that blue tarp covering it up. You didn't see people sitting behind there like you normally do. So 
it may be declared full capacity, but ordinarily full capacity is what, like around 20,000 at the Garden? Full capacity for this one might be 16,000, 17,000. Uh, it'll just be as full as they decide uh, they can make it. But I don't, honestly, I don't think the league is getting involved anymore. I think they're, you know, they're allowing teams to go based on the protocols of their state. So I don't think the Celtics have a league problem. It's just they'll, they'll, they'll decide what their, their full capacity is really going to mean. Chris, what did you make of Jason Tatum's Game 1 performance, 6 of 22, 0 for 6 in the second half? And where do you think he is in his evolution in terms of bringing that consistency night in and night out for a superstar that elevates you to that top tier? I thought it was okay. Um, he got blitzed a lot. And, you know, the Nets, as they are going to do all series long, send multiple defenders at them and, and dared uh, Tatum, or did anybody but Tatum to beat them at times. You know, certainly there were missed opportunities to rush some shots, try to get his shots up in that game. But but that's to be expected. Uh, I didn't think he was he was the problem. And I think he's, I mean, what, just based on what we've seen in recent years, I mean, not only is he going to be, like a 30-point-per-game score in the NBA, and I really believe that, but I think he's going to be a dominant playoff player. He just needs the right guys around him. And if Jalen Brown was there, you wouldn't see quite as many double teams of Jason Tatum as you saw in Game 1. The big problem with the Celtics in Game 1 was that Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier weren't very good. I mean, that, exactly. that's, just, that's just the way it is. I mean, that's you can't beat the Nets with Kemba Walker shooting, what, like 5 or 16? and. Right. Evan 48, three for 10. I mean, it's not going to happen. Those guys have to make shots. And, you know, to dissuade the Nets from sending three or four guys at Jason Tatum, you're going to have to have all those guys make open shots. And in game one, those two players didn't do it. No, I think you nailed it. If you're Brooklyn right now, you look at it, you don't play an awful lot of defense. Bruce Brown can play some defense. Durant can play some defense. Just stop that guy with zero on his shirt. Once we stop him, uh, they're dead. It, unless Kemba's going to have a 30-point game, unless Fournier's going to have a 30-point game, they're dead. Yeah, and the Kemba stuff was – well, there, there are two ways to look at this. Kemba stuff was really disappointing because the Celtics had been building towards this all season long, right? Like, they protected him on back-to-backs. They prioritized the health of that knee over everything else in the hopes that Kemba would come in and be at close to 100% for the postseason. Now, he may still go off the rest of the series. He certainly will have an opportunity. The Nets – as you pointed out, are not good defensively. They're 23rd in the NBA during the regular season. So, you know, he'll get his opportunities. But, you know, game one to go five for 16, that's tough for Boston. And Fournier, like, there are bigger picture issues here with Fournier. Like, you don't expect Fournier to lead this team to a win, but if he's not able to, like, be a positive factor against a prospective peer over the next few years in Brooklyn – What's the point of having him? Like, what's the point of giving him like eighteen million dollars next year over four uh, four years to keep him around? I mean, somebody out there is going to make Evan Fournier uh, a decent offer. And if you're the Celtics, to trumpet like, I mean, are you really going to go that high for a guy that may be unplayable in in a series like this? I yeah, look, everybody wants to win. Don't get me wrong, but for me, like, I'm watching the impact of Evan Fournier because if he winds up playing great and he matches up well with Harden or Irving and he's not a complete liability defensively, and he's shooting well from three-point range, absolutely bring him back. But if he doesn't, Danny Ainge is going to have a really tough decision this offseason. It's a great point. I saw you make the, uh, the point the other night on uh, Channel 7. You had just gotten off your yacht, I believe, at Marina Bay, and uh, all the boats were in I the did, back. Yes. I, I, I thought did. so, it was, yeah. It was nice. I did. Not my idea, by the way. They came to me. I yeah, lived down there. But, so but, it, but, but it is a great point in that 
he and you were talking about how so many teams have money and somebody's probably going to offer him because the, it's not a great pool of free agents. But if you're Danny Ainge, you got to look at this thing and say, what is he worth? And how do you find out in four games here or three games, Chris? How do you find that out? I mean, it's it's hard. You have to go with what you've seen from him since he was acquired. But you do have to look at just how big a liability is he going to be defensively. I mean, every team in the conference has got really good guards, top to bottom. I mean, the Bucks have an all-star, Chris Middleton, a great guard, and Drew Holiday. Uh, even the, the Sixers, Ben Simmons leading the way uh, for that team. Like, you've, you've got to be able to at least play competent defense to be on a team hoping to, to win anything. It doesn't have to be a stopper, but you've got to be able to stay out there on the floor. And when you're open, you've got to make shots. I was very much in favor of making the Fournier deal. They gave up nothing, and holding on to the trade exception of the offseason to me just didn't make any sense. So they did the right thing, but if you get to the offseason and he doesn't play at a high level the rest of this series, I might say, you know what, we didn't give up a lot. Let's just let the guy walk away. Chris, what does Danny Ainge do? Rob Williams this is a guy that obviously is injury-prone, to say the least, and when he's in there, you see the impact he has defensively around the rim. Uh, I think he's eligible for an extension, but if you're Danny Ainge, how, yeah. what do you do? You move forward thinking that you know he's 20 minutes a game, or can you really rely on him being that guy? Oh, I, I think you're counting on him to be that guy, and that may be advantageous for the Celtics in negotiating an extension with Rob Williams. Now, we all know Danny doesn't do extensions unless he wins them. Like, he won the Jalen Brown extension. Like that, Jalen Brown's contract is a very good contract for a player that, you know, played much better this year than he did last year and looks like an emerging star on both ends of the floor. Uh, if Danny can get Rob Williams at 75 cents on the dollar, he'll sign Rob Williams to a big contract extension. But if Rob decides and his agents decide they want to play the season out and they're only going to sign an extension – if it's for maximum possible dollar, he's going to play the whole season out. But I wouldn't be afraid of, of giving Rob Williams a big contract. I think he's shown you know, over the course of this season that he can be a starting five. Like He can be a Clint Capella type or a DeAndre Jordan type. He's never going to be an offensive force, but when I watch him this year, guys, I see a guy that is a way better passer than, than I thought he was. And I was having this conversation with uh, Billy Kennedy, his old college coach, Texas A&M, and he was just telling me, like, this is – this is the guy they've unlocked. Like this, this player you saw this year, this is what Rob Williams can be on a, a week-to-week basis. So I, I wouldn't be shy about lavishing some money on Rob Williams. I just think you have to get him at the right dollar figure. Chris, you know that fans and even some radio personalities, for example, your buddy Gary Tangway, who I did a show with on Sunday and said it's time to blow it up, trade everybody. You know there's going to be emotional reactions coming out of this series and the likelihood that they get taken care of very easily by the Nets. But from an internal perspective, is anything that happens in the next few games really going to alter their mindset as a team heading into the offseason? Not when it comes to the core. Um, obviously, Tatum's not going anywhere. Brown, the only way I could see Jalen Brown moved is if it is like a straight-up swap for Bradley Beal. I mean, that is the only thing that makes any kind of sense. Brown's in his mid-20s, Beal just 27 years old. Uh, I think he works opposite Jason Tatum, but there's no, there's nothing I've heard about interest in trading Jalen Brown. What they will do is is shop everybody else, though. I mean, like Marcus Smart entering the last year of his contract, there's going to be a marketplace for him. 
They've shopped Kemba Walker before. There just isn't a lot of takers out there for a guy that makes that much money with a knee injury that's proved problematic over the last 16 months. Um, so they'll look around at at some of these these potential offseason moves. But the core of this team, it would be really surprising to me if they're moved. And by the way, they shouldn't be. Like I, I talk to GMs all the time about kind of like you know reacting to this season, and every single one of them, every one, have said, "Look, we cannot." overreact to what happened this season. This is a bizarro season where you have a really short training camp. You have COVID-related issues. You've got four games in five nights, which will never be back again. The NBA worked hard to legislate that out over the last few years. You can't, you know, make any kind, you can't draw any kind of conclusions on your team if, you know, based on the result of this season. To me, this Celtics team still more mirrors the team that went to the conference finals in the bubble. They need help and they need veteran help. They, you know, losing Gordon Hayward for nothing hurt them. You know, losing Al Horford a year before that hurt them. So they've got to go out and get some veterans. But I don't I don't think it's wise to to overreact to a crappy season that was plagued by COVID from day one. Say the other issue I think that they have right now, and you're already seeing in game one and we may see more of it, is they need offense because you simply have to put a lot of points up if you're going to beat Brooklyn. And you already saw Jabari uh, Parker a lot in that first game. He can't defend worth a lick. Matter of fact, they went right at him at the defensive end, but he can score. But you spent all season long with Grant Williams getting meaningful minutes, part of your rotation. Uh, Shemi Ojale getting meaningful minutes, part of your rotation because they could defend. And now suddenly you throw all of that away. And I'm wondering, can you go in a regular season with certain rotation and then suddenly out of nowhere sit there going, okay, we've got to change it all up right now. And maybe that speaks to what you just said. They don't have those veteran players you can trust off the bench. They don't, and it, it honestly is wild that Jabari Parker is playing this much. Like it is, I didn't think he. Was, I thought he was going to be playing in China after Sacramento let him go. Like the Sacramento Kings, which were trying to make the playoffs, had no use for Jabari Parker. Like he's out there going 22 minutes. That's how desperate this Celtics team is uh, for offense, and they clearly don't trust Grant Williams at this point. He's proven unreliable. Uh, Aaron Neesmith. I like his potential, but still erratic. And it's hard to thrust a very young player like that into a situation like this. Uh, that's why Jabari Parker has been leaned on so often. He's like the break glass in case of emergency. Yeah. And like you kind of hope that you know, he can give you, you know, 30 minutes and score 15, 20 points. Like he still has that within him. The question is, as you pointed out, how much is gonna, he going to give on the other end of the floor? They, they just don't have a rotation, uh, you know, like, like you mentioned. Like they don't have – you know, eight, nine guys set that they trust on any given night. And that's that's something they didn't have to deal with in years past. I mean, say what you want about the flaws of previous Celtics teams, but they went eight, nine, ten deep. You had Aaron Baines and Daniel Tyson. I mean, you had a lot of veteran guys that were were trusted by this team. So I, I think that's that's a priority. Now, it, it may reconcile itself, guys, in the offseason, because I think Neesmith can play. Like, I think he showed in the second half that he's got something there. Peyton yeah. Pritchard clearly can play. I don't know what role – his is going to be moving forward, but he can definitely play. So year two, year three, uh, don't get me started on Romeo Langford. I have no idea what to make of him in the long term. But these other guys, uh, they can play and be part of your rotation. If you just flesh it out with trustworthy wing players that you can play, uh, I think you can get back to the rotations you've had in years past. Chris, I understand what you're talking about, not reacting in a COVID year, and I know you respect Brad Stevens. I think we all like him. We all think he's a good coach. You know, and when you hear they've tuned the coach out, that's you, nobody wants to say that, right? Because then, then, you're, then you're done. But 
I don't know if you got, people talk about all the time. I don't know if you understand, like, watching this team every single night as, like, a fan, as an outsider, and hearing Brad every night talking about there's no defense. We, you know, we're taking the team too lightly. We can't come out of the, you know, first quarter and play the way we need to. It's like over and over again, it seems like he knows what the answers are, but over and over we keep seeing the same mistakes. So as an outsider watching this team, I think it's obvious that people can sit there and just say, well, obviously they're not listening because he knows what they want to do, but they're not doing it. So, you know, yeah, it's... I, I, I think there's truth to that. I think there's truth to that. Um, I don't know. I, I do not believe the solution is firing Brad Stevens. I just, if you do, there's going to be like three teams out there that fire their coaches immediately and try to hire him. Yep. Like, you know, beginning with Indiana. Like, there'll be, mm-hmm. there will be a feeding frenzy for Brad Stevens. What I think Brad Stevens needs is to add either another, add an, add an ex-player into that mix, into the coaching staff mix. What they have lacked in recent years, really since Walter McCarty left, has been a, a player that will get, or an ex-player that can get in the faces of players on that team. Glenn, you saw this over the years. Yep. With, with pre, most coaching staffs have that. I and think I it's a great point. Yeah. Yet, I, think, I said this to Kendrick Perkins the other day. I'm like, they should hire you. Of course, Perkins is like, no, I make way too much money doing this. This is way more fun. Plus, he's trashing so, Brad. So, but, but some, so hold on, Ke- like that guy. hold on, Chris. Yeah. So you don't think Evan Turner is that guy? Because I thought that's why they brought him aboard, right? I, th- I think it was. I just think Evan is too closely removed from his playing days to really be that guy. I think Evan is a excellent basketball mind and could be a coach himself. Uh, down the road, if he's not in media, he's also a you know great talker. As many we recovered him yeah. knows, but like from what I what I was always told over the years was that you know Walt was you know he, he liked hanging out with the guys, all that stuff. But like if, in practices, if guys are doing it wrong, he'd get in their faces, and I think you need that on the bench, whether it's a Charles Oakley type or whoever, like just somebody that played the game. I love the Celtics coaching staff. I think there are some coaches in waiting on that staff, from Jay Laranega to Scott Morrison, some really good Jerome Allen, some really good basketball minds on that staff. But every staff needs that guy, needs that, that former player that, that can relate to these guys on a different level. If I'm Brad Stevens this offseason, I'm probably trying to find that guy. Chris, we had a uh, column on WEEI.com today. The green teamers a little fired up. Our own uh, producer, Tyler Devitt. The headline is, could Jason Tatum simply end up becoming Carmelo Anthony? Thoughts? I mean, he's 23. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, Carmelo... <laughs> Carmelo was like eight years in before we started to wonder, like, you know, what was he going to be? It was really the Knicks situation that that turned Carmelo into what he was. Remember, Carmelo only went to one conference finals. That was that year with Chauncey in in Denver. So he he didn't have any type of playoff success. Jason Tatum has already been to what two? I think uh, three or whatever it is. So he's been deep in the playoffs already before. I mean, if he gets to his late twenties and he's still on teams that haven't you know, accomplish what they need to accomplish. I, I, I then you can have that conversation. I, I just don't see it. I mean, uh, Jason's already showing flashes of being a far better defensive player than Carmelo ever was. I don't. Th- he's certainly not like the mid-range magnet that Carmelo has been throughout his entire career. So I, I, I think there's more to. But you would admit you, know, you hope he's more than Carmelo. Yes, uh, I think he's like he, Carmelo's a great player, Hall yeah. of Famer, first ballot. And, but I think Tatum has the potential to be better than Carmelo, especially from a team perspective, because I think he can do a little bit more as a team player than Carmelo could. He's got to be the one on your team. And Carmelo on the whole is really a two. You need somebody 
else on there. I'll give you credit, though. You're the first person that's been critical of the column that didn't swear. <laughs> <laughs> first person. Got to give it to you. I, so, I, honestly, guys, I, I think Tatum, like Tatum's a, a one on a championship team. I'm sorry. Like this guy, I was saying it on NBC back when he was a rookie. Like he is a 30 point per game scorer. This is one of the most gifted offensive players that's been around in a while. Like I talked to his, his personal trainer, Drew Hanlon all the time about the improvements he makes every single offseason. And as, as he gets stronger, I mean, he's only 23. Like, as he gets stronger, his game is going to continue to evolve. He is just, he's lethal, man. And if you put the right guys around Jay Statham, and I believe Jalen Brown is one of those guys. You put the right guys around him, you know, you're going to win a championship in Boston with Jason Tatum as the one. Chris, can, Chris can the Celtics win a game here? <laughs> I mean, I... I yeah, probably game three when everybody's kind of frothing at Kyrie for the first time in two years. I mean, I, I missed – guys, I mean, I was all in to go – that was a 20, uh, 2018 now when you look back on it. But they scheduled that Nets game. And I don't know if this is on purpose or not, but they scheduled that Nets game for the day before Thanksgiving at the Garden, which, as we all know, everybody is drunk, completely drunk in, in a situation like that. So, that, like, that would have been maybe the most hostile environment in the history of – recent environment this one's going to be pretty pretty hostile as well but that was that was an opportunity missed back in 2018 for Kyrie to make his return to Boston the day before Thanksgiving when he burns his sage beforehand everybody will calm down and they won't say he also never does that like he like he said he does it all the time (laughs) to my knowledge he has never done that like and even after the fact I I tell you what he is so irritating but yet you watch him play and he's so good his ball handling ability and and that may be part of Kemba's problem, and that he has to spend some time defending him, and he can't, you know, adjust in his offensive game because I don't think they did a great job of defending Kemba the other night. He got open jumpers, just couldn't make them. He did, yeah, he did, and, and he did. No question, he's got to make those jumpers in game two. But look on Kyrie. One last thing, like give him credit for adjusting to James Harden on the fly. Like Kyrie easily could have sulked his way into a, a real, real difficult situation. I mean, we know Kyrie wanted to choose his own destiny, right? Like, that was a big thing for him. He got traded. LeBron came to Cleveland. He didn't ask for that. He got traded to Boston and asked that. He wanted to choose his own destiny. He chose Kevin Durant. He didn't choose to play with James Harden. Now, you might say, well, you get to play with another great player. That's just not how Kyrie's wired. But the fact that Kyrie was so willing and was able to adapt so quickly to Harden, I mean, they went on a great run when Harden came into that mix. It was just Harden, Kyrie, in that backcourt. The fact that he was willing to adjust showed me something from Kyrie as a team player that I think is going to benefit the Nets both in this series and the rest of the playoffs. All right, Chris, always great talking to you. Chris Mannix from ASI on the Harbor One Hotline. We'll do it down the road. Have a good one. Anytime, guys. See See you later. Uh, This hour brought to you by East Coast Metal Roofing. Um, Did Brady do something wrong in Tampa, something that he was not supposed to do? Ooh, there's some reports we'll get to. Yeah, next.